So today, Rabbi Sai, today is a very special day, very special day in the Jewish calendar, and that is this is my Rebbe's yacht site, the Heiliger of Heimpen Chasheinberg's at Sal. Chasheinberg's yacht site today. Um, I was Zorich Abor Hashem to learn by him. Um, you posted it, it's very nice of you. I, um, <laughs> I and Levi. Levi yeah. Anyway, so uh, I was Zorich to learn by him. And I just want to spend a few minutes uh, giving you a little bit of background because Rav Scheinberg, I said, I said it over in the video, the Yotzite chat, which I don't know if you're on the Yotzite chat. I think you left recently, by the way. Zev, you left recently. <laughs> the anyway, um, <laughs> so if you're on the, if you're on the Yotzite chat, you've got, you'll got the video about Rav Scheinberg. But I, wanna, I, wanna, I, wanna, I would like to just say a few more things because um, I, I want to explain to you who he was because, you know, there are many Gedolim there are many gedolim that we go to that are one second. There are many gedolim that we go to that are gedolim by everyone's a godel by their own efforts. One hundred percent, nothing is given to you. Torah is never be Yerusha, right? You can never just inherit Torah. It doesn't work that way. Torah works by sweat, by hard work, by diligence, consistency. There's no doubt about it. However. Sometimes you have gedolim that sort of have a little bit of a step in the right direction because their father or grandfather or both were gedolim and they grew up in their homes and for them it was easy and it was expected and whatever. Rav Scheinberg was not like that. Rav Scheinberg was a regular normal American bocha. Um, yes, he lived, you know, 105 or 6 years ago he was born, whatever it was. Maybe a bit more actually. But Akaponim, he lived 101 and a half years. Can you imagine? He lived 101 and a half years old. That's, um, that's when he died. But he was a Yid that was very much a self-made man. Self-made man in the sense that he didn't grow up looking at Gedolim, seeing Gedolim. He used to tell us, I remember this, I said it in the, in the Shea. He used to tell us, I delivered newspapers in Delancey Street. Now, I don't know where Delancey Street is, right? Where but it's somewhere in... He was from Brooklyn. And... Um, oh, an unbelievable, unbelievable yid. Unbelievable yid. And he delivered newspapers. That means he grew up in a regular, normal home. He didn't see Gedolim. He went to Europe and became what was known to be one of the biggest masmidim to walk through the May Yeshiva doors. Now, let's just take a moment to, re- to represent, just a second, let's take a moment to represent the May Yeshiva in those days was made up of what nowadays turned into Gedolim. You're talking about the biggest of the biggest went over there. You're talking about the biggest people. They said the biggest masmidim to walk through the May doors were Abraham Shemelevitz and Abraham Penchel So much so that they say the story Okay, as follows. The story goes that the Chovetz Chaim once came to visit the Meh, and he didn't go into the Medrash, whatever, he was by the Meh, he was past the Meh, and all the Bacham you can imagine, the Chovetz Chaim, the God Ladar, came to visit, everybody ran out. There was one Bacham that didn't run out, and that was the Rav Chaim Pinchashan, but he continued learning. He was the Mosmid that you ch- simply cannot believe. They say that one's man that he was in, um, in Meh, he came back with 400 notebooks of Chidushe Torah. We're not talking about 400 notebooks of writing up the Gemara or whatever. It's about 400 notebooks of Chidushe Torah in an amazing way. In fact, when he got married, he went back to the Meir and his wife, who was a regular American, right? Her father was all for the boss, uh, Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael Herman, and she plugged in, she bought from America gadgets from America. One of them was an iron, in order to iron clothing. And she plugged in the iron into, in, in the town of Me in Poland, yeah, at the time. And the entire place 
electricity went, went down. The whole place went down, right? Uh, because they were, didn't, it couldn't cope with that much electricity. That's what she came in there. She wasn't used to that. She came from America. Like, come on. There was an outhouse to the bathroom. There were moist nefesh for Torah. There were much moist nefesh for Torah. They say the story with the Chovetz Chaim happened with him. It was that Rav Scheinberg came to the Chovetz Chaim and the Chovetz Chaim was very, very old and someone shouted into the Chovetz Chaim here that, look, this American Bachar and his wife came all the way from America to the Meir, Yeshiva, to learn. Unbelievable. He went to the Chovetz Chaim and go, wow, unbelievable. And the Chovetz Chaim said, well, Shkoyach, the Rebunshim came from Shemaim down to Har Sinai to give us the Torah. These even can come to the Meir in order to do that. They say the story happened with Rav Scheinberg. I don't know 100%, but I, I do know that, that the Masmid that he was, which again, I said this over also, is that, you know, he used to help at home, because every good husband helps at home, and he would wash the dishes, but he wouldn't just wash the dishes, he put up a mishtabura in front of him, so while he was washing the dishes, he was learning. Somebody came once into a Scheinberg's house, right, this was a bit older then, and um, he was eating soup, and he was learning at the same time, right, because that's how you eat soup, right? He was sitting and learning, and he was eating his soup. But he didn't harp that the bowl had finished the soup a long time ago. But he didn't realize that. He was continuously taking spoons away. He didn't cut that it was finished. There was nothing left in the bowl. Because he was, he was so immersed in his learning that it, well, it probably wasn't a game. Now, he was a, a, someone that very much held of normality. Normality means being normal. Yes. Somebody once came to him and said, Rebbe, I want to wear tefillin all day. Now, he will tefillin all day. Right? He wore actually five pairs, but that's, that's besides the point. Not all day. Not at the same time, he'd switch. He had all different cheetahs, the rum bum, and all sorts of things. Tzitzis was something else. This is up to 300. Up to 300. So, just to tell you about the tzitzis, I, I don't know, because no, no, nobody knows why he wore tzitzis. I was like, I'll tell you what we do. Let's do all the questions. All the questions we'll take afterwards. Let me just go through a few interesting things about the tzitzis. Nobody in the world knows anything about why he did tzitzis, including his own wife. His wife went to complain when, she, when he first took it on um, to the stapler. And she said, Rebbe, I, I don't do my husband. Like, you know, can you, you know, you're talking about over 300 pairs of tzitzis. He did not have, he did not have air conditioning in his home. It, you, it caused major, major rashes on his shoulders that were having this weight and the wool and the sweat and everything. It was crazy. We'll, we'll do the questions afterwards. And um, she went to complain to the stapler. And she said, Rebbe, what's my husband doing? Like, he's crazy. And uh, the stipend said, don't ask questions on Gedolei Hador. That's what the stipend said about him, and he was much younger at the time. Okay? We don't know why. There are a number of reasons that he kind of was Muramas to. I remember we asked him one time, not why, we asked him, how many tittles is Rebbe wearing now? He said, how many eyebrows do you have? Like, how many hairs do you have? And he used to make jokes about it. He used to make jokes about it. He was very much like that, by the way. He was very much like that. Like, um, Bokshim, he, you know, he actually came to Machasna. I was there to have him by Machasna. And uh, he sang a solo. He sang a solo. Yeah, he, he, there was one song that he loved. One song that was... Because it described him. He, used to, he went to the desert in order to... When he came to Etzor, by the way, there were no yeshivas. Though it, what he did, he was the pioneer of American yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael. There was no such thing. He was basically, and he came to Matastov, he came to Sorotsky. It was, it, was, it was sand. There was nothing there. It wasn't like he came now, Gavalde, got burger bite, got sushi, and everything you need. He didn't have all those things. He almost didn't have anything. But he came here, didn't even have waffle bar. He had nothing. Can you imagine? And he came here to learn. So he sang a solo. But he, he would go over, he didn't do this to me, but he went over, he was known to go over to the, uh, to the Hassan. As soon as the Hassan put the ring on the collar, he went over to the Hassan and said, It's all over. That's what he did. That was his, uh, you know. He used to, he was very gishmak. He used to eat from a Sudhis mitzvah. 
We said this many times, Bashem of Scheinberg, right? I say this many times, but it's important to know a Sudas mitzvah is very choshev. And the food of a Sudas mitzvah is also very choshev. Rav Scheinberg's Zatzal used to say that when you eat from a Sudas mitzvah, right? Um, this, what it gives you is unbelievable. And he said if we knew the, the Gewaldiger Zach of eating from a Sudas mitzvah, we would get down on our hands and knees and lick up every crumb from the floor from eating from a Sudas mitzvah. He was tried to be Macbeth to eat only from a Sudas mitzvah. He sat next to me by my chasna, I remember. And um, he, he mamish polished off the plate. And, uh, this, and when he'd go to people's houses, they'd say, can we get the Rashiva a coffee? Eh, get me a Coke. He was very, very, very chill, very easy, very... That's how he was. He was American at the end of the day, but he was a god ladder. Mamish, uh, Talmud Chacham, he was a week before he started there. But he was Mamish, uh, a godl, Shein Kumoyu. Very unusual, by the way, to have someone of his stature as a Rosh Hashiva, but also a Paisik. Normally you have a Rosh Hashiva who's a Rosh Hashiva, but he was also holding in Halacha. He'd give Shalom Bay, famous Misa. Famous Misa. Somebody came, somebody came to, uh, somebody came to Scheinberg with Shalom Bay's issues. Many people, used to, many people used to come to Shalom Bay's issues. He was very big into that. And they would come to him and they would say to him, uh, Rebbe, me and my wife, we don't see eye to eye. We don't see eye to eye. That's the problem. So Scheinberg used to famously say that that's the problem. You're not seeing eye to eye because it's all about eye. And therefore, he says, we have two eyes. We have two eyes in order to see the good in somebody else as well as to work on ourselves as well. And Scheinberg famously said, and I've quoted this many times, there's no kunz to get married. The kunz is to stay married. Anybody can get married. Oh, but, oh, but to stay married is already a whole different shayla. Okay? He was very, very mad on cleanliness. Right? I remember, distinctively, I remember him stand, uh, walking around in the, lo- in the lobby of the yeshiva. And, and the people who had umbrellas, because it was raining, so you walked in and you put your umbrella by the door. He didn't like it. He didn't like it because like, it makes a mess for yeshiva. It's not covered to the yeshiva. People have tzitzis. He didn't like an extra, like when you make your own tzitzis and you, you know, wind it around, you're sometimes left with one last string that's much longer than the rest. Right, so he didn't like that. So it should all be the same length. Right, and he would say, if you saw a bocha that had tzitzis that was like going yellow, tell your mother to wash the tzitzis. He was very mad on cleanliness. It was something he was mad In other words, why am I telling you a lot of these things? Because sometimes there's gedolim they're holding in Torah and they're only in Torah and like they don't know anything else they don't understand anything else he understood people he understood our generation very very much um, and he was a masmid like he wrote Svarm 25 Svarm on the Ketsois you know what's interesting the Ketsois Ketsois HaChoshen was one of the most lomdash Svarm that you can learn it's lomdash when you're learning Ian Lassin and Bomitsia there's a Ketsois sometime and a Sivas it's heavy lomdash he wrote Svarim on that that means he had to have not only understood that so well, but he had to have gone into it deep enough to ask questions and go into Lambdas. They say about Rav Scheinberg that he was not known to be in London. And when he came out with the Sefer Tabas HaChoshen, five Swam on the Ketsois, they were very, very shocked. He was known to be a Masmid. That he was known for. But a London, he wasn't known for that. But the difference of London is someone that knows Ba'amkas, the Sugar that goes into deep. He wasn't known for that. He was, he was clever. But he was known to be a Masmid, not a London. When he, a Masmid is someone that learns all the time, all the time, all the time. For that, he was, he was, he was the king. Of Asmodi, he was the king. But when it came to Amkus in learning, he wasn't known for that. When he came out to Basakhoshin, it was like, wow, I guess he's also that. And, and obviously, the Hasmada that he had paid off. Now, here's an American Bacha who turned into a self made Godel Hador. Mamish, I remember when he used to, he used to give us Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon, I think it was six o'clock, he used to give us, yeah, he used to give us, it was more of a Musashir, whatever. 
and uh, he used to make fun. I remember this, Oles Kavaldik. He used to make fun of all those big professors and people working in their big universities like Harvard and University and uh, Cambridge and all these places. He used to make fun of them and say, what, what do they have in their lives? What do they have in their lives? He says, a Bentayra has everything that they need. They have satisfaction from Yiddishkeit. They have a connection to Hashem. It's the greatest thing as a person being a Bentayra. So I remember after the Shmuz, we'd say, Rebbe, can we have a brocha for Torah, please? And he used to laugh. And we were like, can we have a brocha for Torah, please? He's like, no, Schwitz. That's the only way you could do it, is by schwitzing. I'm not going to give you a bracha to, be, to, to learn Torah. Go learn it yourself. Go figure it out. That's what he did. He schwitzed. And he became. And you know something? When, when, it, when it came from him, we understood it. Because he didn't grow up by Gedolim. He wasn't a natural godl. He made a semashas at 16 and a half. That was the first time he made semashas. He got smicha under the chopper. Because he very much wanted smicha. His mother wanted, I think it was. His mother wanted to get smicha under the chuppah. She got smicha under the chuppah. He became a rabbi under the chuppah. His first time in finished house was 16 and a half. Um, okay, remember in those days, they didn't, have, they didn't have smartphones, right? They didn't have the distractions we have. It was a different world. But the point is, he worked for it. He worked for it on his own. He wasn't someone that, um, in fact, they said a story. I, I don't, I, you know, I, I remember roughly the details of the story that when he was a Rav, he was a Rav in, in America before he became Rosh Hashiva, before he opened up over here. He was a Rav for many, many years. And um, someone came to ask him a Shiloh. And I don't know if he said, I don't know, or he said something, whatever it was, or he said, it's Asa. Then he went home and he looked into a certain safe and he found either a Heta or he found the answer. He walked an hour and a half. I don't remember where this person lived. Maybe in Queens and he was in Flatbush. I don't know exactly. He walked an hour and a half over the bridge. Obviously, it was in the Tom. He walked an hour and a half just to be able to knock on that person's door on Friday night and tell him, by the way, I found the heter or I found the answer to your question because he wanted that person to feel at ease. Right? So as, and he walked back. So as Whoa. much of a Muslim he was, he was very sensitive to other people's feelings. And that's a very important thing. Right? He was very machshev Torah, obviously. When people would go to him for brachas, so he would say, and people wondered, like, Rebbe, you want a bocha to, 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 to get a shidduch, to get engaged, to have children, whatever it is. She said, okay, give money to yeshiva. And they're like, oh, shkai, okay, no, give money to yeshiva, slap forward, slash donate. Of course you're going to say that, right? But the, the truth is, he said, it's not me. The brachas that he gave were all, all be mekayim. He was, mom, it's a poor Yeshua, it's unbelievable. But he always said, it wasn't me. He said, it's the schus of the tzedakah to Torah. When you support Torah, you have the unbelievable brachas in your life. And they said that was the source of what people got married, the people have children that weren't able to have children. And it was an amazing, amazing thing. He was machshiv women who were sending their husbands to learn Torah in Koilo or wherever it may be. And he would say, wow, your husband's so special. He would like, Mishabek would praise women and say, you've got such amazing husbands because he wanted them to feel good because he understood that if a woman is happy, then naturally her husband is happy also. And if you give the woman the satisfaction that she's got a great husband, she's got a good husband, then, you know, then she's going to be happy with her husband also. And that was a very, very important thing. And that, you know, he was, again, a Yid that understood Torah in an amazing, amazing way but understood the human being also in an amazing way. And listen, what can I tell you? It was a yid that I was Zorcha Baruch Hashem to see Okimah on a daily basis. When I, was, when I was going to Yeshiva, his office was as we walked in. And how could you go upstairs without, you know, just peering in just to, just to, just to see him? Just to see him. It was just an unbelievable sight. We used to, every year we used to go and um, watch him like Hanukkah. Uh, Neiris, even though he was of the opinion, that you should not be Mavatal Seder for, for Neiris Hanukkah, and you con- should continue in the second Seder until 7 o'clock, until when you finish, and then you go light. Ah, he's reason with you in the mitzvahs, and you're meant to write by Shkia. That's very nice, but you're learning it's more important than anything else, right? A Koponim, we used to go as Bochum. He never said anything, I guess he understood. But uh, we used to go watch him, light was amazing. He, he lit, 
And then the halacha is that after lighting, for the first half an hour, a woman is not allowed to do malacha. Right? Mm-hmm. Meaning she's not allowed to do sewing or washing or whatever it is, because after half an hour, the din is that women also have some whatever it is. So he would go to the kitchen, and then he would say to his wife, he was talking about he was like 95 years old at the time, you know, um, can I get you anything? Like, like, oh yeah, actually, I wouldn't mind like a freshly squeezed orange juice and some French fries from down the okay. Like what she's going to ask him, you know? And he would laugh, like, because he knew that, you know, whatever. And uh, then he would go back to his seat and he would continue learning. But he, would, he had this sensitivity. Whenever he was in America, he made sure what you need. He asked the Rebbe what she needed. It, was, it meant a lot to him. Everyone knows the famous Meister with the ivory soap, right? Famous Meister, this one. His Gabba was going to Cyprus, I think it was. And he said to him, Oh, can you do me a favor? I really, really want ivory soap. It was a certain make of soap that was, you could only find over there. And he, I guess he used to bring it with him sometimes from America. But I guess he sold it in Cyprus. And his Gabba was going there. He said, do me a favor. Could you please bring it for me? So uh, his Gabba came back and he completely forgot. So the rabbi asked him, you know, what happened to the soap? He's like, oh, I completely forgot. But, you know, whatever, I can get you a different type. He's like, no, no, you have to understand. I want Dafka that one. Why did he want Dafka that one? Because that one lathers quicker. It's quicker to lather, which means I can take a quicker shower and then I can go back to my learning even quicker. Now, what are we dealing with? A few seconds, but a few seconds to Rav Scheinberg was Khashiv. It was very, very, very Khashiv. Okay, and again, he, he took advantage of every moment of his life for Torah, for Yerushalayim, to become a better person, right? And it was amazing. That's, that, that was how he lived, and, uh, and that was a very Khashiv. And then the thing that we saw as well, like, you know, he was old, it was heavy on him. But he would almost run down the base medrash when we saw him. He would run. Like he's an old 95-year-old man with hundreds of tzitzes above him. But he would run. Some of us were more enthusiasm than we had. Right? We were tired. Like, oh, you know, you, you, know, you know how it goes when you walk into the base medrash. You're tired. You're like walking slowly through. He would just zoom. Like, how do you have that koyach? And he was up from 4 o'clock in the morning learning, obviously, right? Uh, unbelievable. Rabbi Sai, a yid who was most nefesh for Torah, and who understood the human being, Ben Adon Mechaveru, excelled in all these midas. They always bring down, and we say this often, the, the, the day of a Yotzad, of a Tzaddik, is often a day that we can get a lot of hashpah from him. And therefore, the reason I pointed out a lot of these things is some of them I remember myself, which is beautiful. But also, it means that we can work on ourselves and we can get chizik from that. If we hear that this is what a Yid did for himself and who he became, it means that we can also become something. It means that we can also push ourselves. If he pushed himself and look what he became, and he used to say that as well. He used to say, look where I came from and look what I became. It means you can also do more. And it's true. Every single one of us can push ourselves just a little bit more in the right direction. You're going to lean on and call Klal Yisrael. Be'ez HaShem, it should all be Zorcha to have a spa from his Gavadag HaShpaz.